Hello and welcome to another episode of the Ulster Rugby Roundup. This evening is finally upon us with Glasgow visiting Kingspan on Friday evening. But first we've got a certain piece of news to discuss. I say we, I mean myself, Anna, and I'm joined by the Belfast Telegraph's rugby correspondent, Jonathan Bradley. Hello, Jonathan. Hi, are you well? Very well indeed. And a season debut for freelance extraordinaire, the returning Adam McKendry. Hello, Adam. Extraordinaire is a lot, but glad to be back, guys. It's Somebody everything. was asking where you are, so don't do you yourself down. Absolutely. Fair enough. I I feel the most wanted in my entire life so far. Back by popular demand, you could say. So Ulster's new signing has arrived to thunderous applause. Not Adam, somebody else. Dealing a hammer blow to the rest of the ultimate rugby championship and proving that lightning can strike twice when it comes to South African back rowers. That's enough Thor puns from me. So uh, we're talking about Dwayne Vermeulen, of course, who will join Ulster after the Autumn Internationals uh, on a deal that stretches to 2023. Jonathan, our first question comes in from Big Jim. Do Ulster have a replacement for Marcel Coutier this season? We have, of course, been asked this every week, and now we can give uh, a rather different answer to the one we've given before, because this was something of a, a bolt from the blue, just to throw in an extra pun that I didn't even mean there. I... I'm not overly familiar with Thor. Oh, I see. You don't. You didn't get any of those, did you? Not did they not register? So an awful lot of those went over my head. Oh, well, that's a pity. Well, obviously, it's a brilliant sign. I don't think it. <laughs> that's news to anyone. <laughs> Thirty-five or not, you're bringing in a recent World Cup winner, man of the match in the World Cup final. Even more recently than that, um, in the various iterations of. Uh, the South African franchises playing each other. He was uh, the pick of the bunch, picking up the player of the tournament there. And it's obviously the type of signing that would have been hard to imagine whenever you were talking about Marcel Gutierrez replacements, because I think numerous times on this podcast, we had talked about just the reality of the situation being that you weren't going to be able to replace Gutierrez with a player anywhere near his ability. And obviously that was... Uh, that was massively wrong because they have. Absolutely. And as we have said in recent weeks, it's not something that was exactly expected. How did this, how did it sort of come about? Like, where did this come from? I feel like we, we don't have the entire picture yet, but I think one of the big things that you have to factor in is that Vermeulen is someone who is at the tail end of his career. We're not talking about someone who's going to come to Ulster like Ruben Pinar and spend nine years here because he is 35. So I'd imagine there is definitely a degree of he has looked at his career. The final chance for him to play the Lions has passed. He's won a World Cup with South Africa. He maybe has one more in him in 2023 but he's probably thinking to himself about how he's going to make the most of his final few years in the game and I would say that's probably played a factor in the fact that he has now decided he's going to come back to Europe he obviously had a stint with Toulon but I think that's probably a factor that there is more money on offer in Europe than what there would be in South Africa so I would say he's probably just after the Lions tour sort of sat down with his agent with his family and said I want to give it one more go here outside of South Africa and therefore he's come back on the market because realistically this isn't a situation that presents itself very often. It's yeah. very, very rare that a team will be going into the market just before the season begins and finding a player of Dwayne Vermeulen's quality. So this has probably come together very quickly. This probably isn't something that Ulster have been working on for a couple of months. This is 
probably uh, Dwayne Vermeulen made himself available. Bryn Cunningham stuck his head in Dan McFarlane's door and said, Dwayne Vermeulen's available. And probably within a few days, they managed to thrash something out and get him over. So um, big coup for Ulster. There were teams who were interested in, in him, uh, English teams, Japanese teams. I have absolutely no doubt that some French teams, once they knew he was available, probably uh, put their hat in the ring as well. So for Ulster to come out on top of that crop is massive. And I think he's exactly the signing that they were looking for whenever Marcel Kutsia left. Yeah, like it was fairly clear, Jonathan, that they weren't just going to sign somebody for the sake of signing somebody as a replacement. It was going to be somebody massive or not at all. Like, as Adam says, he had plenty of other options, as Stephen Ferris was telling you last week, in, in England and, and otherwise. Why, from his point of view, Ulster, do we know? Like, can we assume that there was some, maybe a word in his ear from the likes of Marcel or Ryan Pinar or, or somebody from that, that that maybe swayed him? Well, I think, obviously, this historic tradition of South Africans not only succeeding here in terms of rugby, but just enjoying their time here. Everyone is always quick to point out, I suppose, how similar the cultures are, how at home they're made to feel here. And he is someone that is already, as Adam said, he's already experienced rugby in France. He's already experienced rugby in Japan. So at 35 years of age, it's a chance to experience something different again. And again, the way that the moves come about, the timing of the move suits all parties well, because there's not really going to be the same market for a player that there would be at a normal at the you know at whenever deals are normally done but this is a good situation for him to be in and if Ulster could have handpicked the type of player they were looking to sign after Marcel could see it may well have been Dwayne Vermeulen on the basis of what he can do over the next year and a half yeah and do you think as you said he's 35 but he did have that player of the season award very recently do you think like, how much do you think he's going to offer and how much is this a player who is starting to edge over the wrong side of his peak? Obviously, it's a very high peak. So. Yeah, exactly. And it, like the most, re- you know, it's not like Nakarara where it was like, can he recapture his best form in Belfast? This is somebody who has been in good form as recently as we've seen them. Is still the starting number eight for the Springboks, will be the starting eight, number eight for the Springboks. Uh, against the All Blacks this weekend like he's still in good form and the way that an awful lot of these signings work you're not really going to have somebody for the nine years that you had Ryan Pienaar anymore like yeah whenever Ulster signed Charles Piatai he had all of his career ahead of him but what does it matter if they're only going to be here for two years anyway well yes (laughs) that is very true to be fair you know you're judging him on what he's going to do when he's here we know that he's going to be here for a year and a half there's no real need to worry beyond that because in a year and a half so much can change in a year and a half you might be looking at a back row and saying oh you know well the resources would be better placed elsewhere because Nick Timoney's turned into an Irish international David McCann's turned into an Irish international you know like anything can happen in a year and a half (laughs) yeah that's so true um Adam, how transformative do you think he's going to be in terms of uh, of what Ulster can hope to achieve then over that uh, sort of season and a half or more that he's here? We had talked about last week about sort of hopes and expectations for this season, and basically the conclusion was that a home quarterfinal and a, a subsequent semi-final in the league would uh, would be a relative success. Does that does this sign and change anything for you on uh, on Ulster's hopes or maybe expectations for this season? 
Are you talking home semi-final as well, or just a semi-final full stop? Well, you just a semi-final. Look, I, I see Ulster's squad now being very similar to last year. I think Vermeulen fills that Marcel Katsia gap pretty well. But for me, I think you're only going to see Vermeulen in the big games. I don't think you're going to get him in the games against your Benettons, your Zebras, kind of like what Stephen Ferris was saying to us last week. I don't think they're going to play him necessarily as much as they did Marcel Kutsia, primarily because they do have Nick Timoney coming through who has proven that he is a quality player now in that back row. And they're probably going to want to give Dave McCann more time now that he's had his freshman year. And now they essentially want this to be a second year and they want him to start making a name for himself in the back row rather than having a few spot starts here and there. So I think Vermeulen fits into that Kutsia mold for the big games, but then I think in the United Rugby Championship, you're going to want them to push on with the guys that they perhaps had last year and sort of had towards the tail end of last year. So for me, I don't see there being a massive difference that Vermeulen makes in terms of pushing the squad on. I think he just sort of fills that Kutsia role and where the more important thing is where the guys fill in around him. So you need Timoney to push on, you need McCann to push on, you need uh, Callum Reid to push on. I think that's where Ulster are going to be improved this year. No doubt Vermeulen improves them. Like if we were talking about an Ulster, Ulster's projected returns this season without Vermeulen, then I completely agree. I think you're talking about a home quarter final, a semi-final, and that's probably as far as you're looking at them getting. I think now that you have your Vermeulen, they can start thinking about, okay, we maybe could go to the final. I think they are probably in that sort of bracket of the teams that are closest pushing Leinster. Um, but for me, Vermeulen is not the, is not the, big, uh, the big deciding factor in this. Mm. He helps. But I think in order for Ulster to be successful, they need guys to start progressing around him to complement the quality that he has, that uh, the likes of Robert Balakun has, uh, Jacob Stockdale, John Cooney, Stuart McCluskey, uh, Rob Herring. It's The other guys need to start pushing forward. Vermeulen is just another quality addition to the squad. You need the squad to really be pushing forward. Mm-hmm. That's similar to what uh, what Dan McFarlane seems to be saying as as well about it, John. I think that's fair enough. It's not as if it's a Ronaldo to United type thing where we can now go. Oh well, should be winning things straight away. I don't think that you're looking at it saying that you should be winning things, but I think it is a bigger part of the puzzle than people are admitting. While long term sustainability comes from producing players that are of a quality to be in a wider Ireland squad and having 12 of them as just as an example in the short term to not be better than Leinster over the course of an 18 game season, but to be better or to have the ability to beat Leinster in a one-off game, which is all you really need to do to win silverware. And we've seen how close Ulster were to that in um, 2019. This gives you a much better chance of beating Leinster in a one-off game than you would have had before you signed Dwayne Vermeulen, in my eyes. Mm. I Like, I agree with what Adam's saying. I agree with what Dan's saying, that it's not going to make you, you know, this isn't going to be the difference maker to being better than Leinster over the course of the entire season. But in terms of how confident you feel about going up against Leinster in a one-off game, given the way things were last year, I don't think anybody would have felt particularly confident about, confident about that fixture. Now, I think 
sort of just like just having that poncho's chance against them, I think you can feel better about the prospect of causing an upset, if not being a genuinely better side than them. Mm-hmm. I I, t- I take that point, but you've also got to bear in mind Ulster have had Marcel Katsia for the last three years. I'm going to take out his first two years um, because of his injuries. And even in those big games against Leinster, there was only one they came close in, and that was the quarterfinal down in Dublin, uh, and they still didn't win that. For me, Vermeulen just fills that hole that Kutsi has left. He's maybe a little bit better than Kutsi, so okay, you've maybe got a little bit of a better chance than there. But, you know, you, you haven't... It, it's not the equivalent of Ulster replacing Matt Faddis with Cheslin Colby, which would make a massive difference. You're yeah, replacing, we're, not talking, you're, we're not talking about replacing Kutsi with Vermeulen. We're talking about from two weeks ago, do you feel more confident? And of course you do, because you're not... Kutsi hasn't been there since December. True. No, I, I, I completely agree with that. And it's, you're not wrong, but we're, we're talking about Vermeulen absolutely makes Ulster a better team than they were two weeks ago. But we have to take it as our Ulster a better team than they were last season. Because if we were coming into this season with no Vermeulen and no Kutsia, then you're saying Ulster are not a better team than they were last season. But we're coming into it saying... Ulster are a team with Vermeulen compared to Ulster as a team with Kutsia. And for me, I don't think there is enough of a difference between Vermeulen and Kutsia that Ulster are now drastically closer to Leinster in terms of competing with them, even in a one-off game. I think the difference is, are the guys around Vermeulen Mm. pushing on and getting closer to Leinster? I think that's the difference. Vermeulen just sort of fills that gap that Kutsia left in terms of in a one-off playoff game, if you have Kutsia or Vermeulen number eight, I'd rather have Vermeulen, but it's not that much of a a massive difference that I think Vermeulen over Kutsia would make Ulster better than Leinster. Well, fingers crossed they will at least uh, get closer to Leinster this season, whether it's uh, because of Vermeulen or somebody else. It'll probably not be uh, overly fussy if it actually happens. A few more questions on his signing. Big Jim wants to know, how does Nick Timoney feel given his performances last season? And uh, Antonio replied to that just to say uh, Timoney should be on the first 15 every week if he's fit. It's Reedy or Murphy that should make way for Vermeulen most likely Reedy as he's a brilliant impact player off the bench. So, John, just how does this impact on Nick Timoney and on Ulster's first choice back row? Well, I would agree with that. I think looking at the selections that we've seen from Dan McFarland in the big games, I do think that he does quite like having Reedy as that impact player coming off the bench. Um, there has been a fair amount of chat of what this means for Nick Timoney. I don't think this will mean anything for Nick Timoney's game time because I'd be fairly certain that, that, that if it did, you would have seen the move blocked. Okay. Yeah, that's a fair point. I hadn't considered that, but yes, in all likelihood, yeah, that makes sense. Because Nick Timoney is on the Ireland radar, so they're going to want him to play, and he deserves to play on merit. Like, it is another one of these things where I think, yeah, we can get a little bit preoccupied with like the numbers on the jerseys rather than just the blend of the trio. Mm-hmm. So if you have a back row of Nick Timoney, Dwayne Vermeulen, Jordy Murphy, Sean Reedy, whoever, like. It's getting the blend where everybody, or from those three players, you have all the all the bases covered that you need to. And like Timoney is so athletic 
in his frame and he's got such a well-rounded skill set that I don't think he's going to look at playing eight rather than six as any sort of demotion. He'll just want to be playing. And I'd be I would be surprised if he lost any sort of meaningful game time because of this, because last year, well, for the you know, the past nine months, I suppose, really since January, he's been Ulster's best back row. Vermeulen obviously by definition will take time off somebody but I just I personally just don't see it being Timoney I think he he fits that six role pretty well anyway as Johnny said very athletic player you remember his try against Leicester in the Challenge Cup semi-final Um, and he has that sevens background so I wonder if a switch to six would actually even benefit him even more than playing number eight. He isn't your prototypical number eight of crash ball straight over the top of guys. He is a very nimble and fleet-footed back rower. So it could be that perhaps Ulster have been wanting to get him to six and this now fills the slot that would have been left behind at eight. Because for me, I don't think Sean Reedy is a number eight either. I think he's just a little bit too small to be a true number eight. So now having Vermeulen means... You can put Timoney at six. You have someone who is ready to go plug and play at number eight in Dwayne Vermeulen, and you then have that balance in the back row that you want. Mm-hmm. And while I completely understand why people preoccupy themselves with this because it's a perfectly fine theoretical exercise, the season starts on Friday. Vermeulen's not here, Murphy's injured, and Reedy's carrying a knock. So, <laughs> again, you're talking about the chances of all these guys being fit and available at the same time. And it's off to a rocky enough start in that regard. Yeah, that is so true as well. That's so true. When was that? Sure, Ulster had their best 15 on the on the pitch. We love a Mystic Mag prediction, don't we, though? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> if it wasn't for that, we would have a precious, precious little to talk about most weeks. One more question on Dwayne, given the week that's in it. JW asked, do you think that given his experience captaining Toulon, the Bulls, South Africa squads, that he may take up the captain's role in Ian Henderson's absence during the Six Nations period. We have sort of seen it shifted about a little bit over the last couple of years, but it's really been Alan O'Connor more often than not, hasn't it? Do you think uh, Dwayne could take that up? Yeah, it's a good point because obviously, like in the relatively recent past, we've seen like the co-captain idea, we've seen defined vice captains and then over the last couple of years there's been so many vice captains that it's actually been hard to keep track of how many different players have had a crack at it in different circumstances so I think the main thing will be that regardless of whether he's captain or not similar in vain to whenever they signed Johan Muller and Rory Best was Ulster captain and but away with Ireland a lot Vermeulen will be expected just by virtue of his experience and his wealth of knowledge in the game, will be expected to provide leadership all the time. Yeah. And really what we've seen in rugby quite a lot, certainly with Ireland where it's very defined, and then with Ulster as well, is this idea of a leadership group. So the captain is part of that. And if you have a captain that's absent for an awful lot of the season, um, others in that group really do have to step up during that time. You'd guess that Vermeulen would be a big part of that. But the other thing to remember as well is, and it's similar to whenever Rian Pinar was with Ulster, but still playing for the Springboks, Vermeulen will miss almost as much time as the Irish internationals, just at different yeah. parts of the season. So like with Rian, where you used to be 
you know, you used to miss Ruan basically up until Europe started at the start of the season anyway, because he had been playing in the rugby championship. Yeah. And that was when Europe started in October, obviously. Um, it's going to be the same. So, like, presumably, if he stays in the box setup, he will miss the start of next season. He'll miss the Autumn Internationals next season. And then he will be available. The time that he'll be available when the Irish Internationals aren't will be the Six Nations, um, during which there's only two games anyway. At, you know, because they're, they're playing during the down weeks now, but not during yeah. the actual competition. Yeah. But I think I, it, it is a good point of like how much onus would be placed upon him, how much of a weight will he shoulder in that regard? Because mm. it's easy to forget just how young and relatively inexperienced this team is. Like, Vermeulen will be their oldest player by a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, with Madigan being. And next, because all those sort of experienced guys, now it's been over the course of say three or four years, but so much experience has left over the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just from a, like, it's an obvious thing to say, but when he walks into a changing room like that and all of the really young players that Ulster have coming up, he's obviously going to command respect and whether he's given an official like captaincy or not, he's uh, everything he says everybody else in the change room is going to be hanging off every every word anyway. Um, so I suppose in some ways it doesn't matter whether he's given the title or not. He will be a massive, massive leader to uh, to everybody else. Absolutely. Like, I'm not saying boys will be starstruck, but like if you think that you can't learn something <laughs> but they might be. the World Cup, then you're wrong. Yeah. Like if, if you think about it, Dwayne Vermeulen is probably the kind of guy that Dave McCann was watching whenever he was just sort of starting out with Inst. And mm-hmm. thinking that's yeah. the kind of guy I want to model my game off, and now he's yeah. going to be sharing a dressing room with him. So, yeah, like, yeah, like they'll have been watching him when they're young enough to have been proper, like idolizing rugby players. Like, yeah, whenever, mm-hmm. which is you, 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 yeah. you always hear young guys being asked who who were your heroes growing up, or who were your idols, or who do you base your game off of? And we are now at the stage where guys are coming into the squad, and they would genuinely be saying Dwayne Vermeulen or someone similar. So yeah. to to be sharing a dressing room and being able to go up to these guys and saying, listen, how did you do this when I was at my age? It's massive. So I know we say this every time there is a signing and we always say, oh, it'd be great for these guys to learn off of. But all the reports from Vermeulen suggest he is a guy who is a leader. He is a guy who takes the time to really be a squad player so you would like to think that there are long-term benefits of this signing, even if he only stays for the two years. So our last question uh, about Dwayne is the, the weekly Donal of uh, U105 fame now. Donal has uh, outgrown the podcast and it's remarkable to see. He wants to know, do, to date, who do you think have been Ulster's most impactful or influential signings? Do you think that we need to like, in the same way that you had to let Balakun fly free and choose a new favourite player. Like, do you need to adopt a new listener as well now that uh, has Donald reached a level of fame where he's akin to Robert Balakun and you need to find your Ethan McCoy? Uh, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, well, look, if you want to take the weekly Donald title off Donald, you can <laughs> have that out with him. He seems but if you, if you want to be our daily listener, send applications to Belfast Telegraph House <laughs> at Belfast at Northern Ireland. At least that. that'll land in the editor's desk and he'll go, what is this? <laughs> and let those clients have free in for two <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
So uh, yes, most impactful or uh, influential signings. I think it's easy, it's very easy to go to Pinar, obviously. Yeah. So I guess I could just make an argument for somebody that's not Pinar just for the sake of conversation. <laughs> yeah, we're just talking about Pinar. Who else would you make you say? Well, it was actually can... really interesting to hear Andrew Trimble talk about Charles Pater the other day, talking about how he came in and just did things that were completely different in preseason. So it was a case of everybody does this this one way, but here's this 23 cap all black who's a genuine superstar and he does things this way. Mm-hmm. So just that idea of somebody coming in, doing something completely different and bringing in this knowledge of how the best rugby nation in the world operates, what they're doing, things like that are massive. Now, he like Trimble, who obviously had his own well-established international career by that stage, is the only person that I've really heard speak about him in those terms. Like I haven't heard any of the younger players, you know, say things like, oh, we saw Charles Piatai come in and do this, and then we do this, and that was a huge part of our success or anything like that. But it's just interesting to hear. And, you know, you can probably go back to whether it be guys like Kempson or Sexton or Steinmetz or, you know, any of those sort of early forerunners to the Muller, Pinar, Afoa, Vonnenberg type signings that would have come in and just been doing things in a completely different fashion to what we were used to over here. I, I, I didn't really cover the team sort of before the Pinar Miller Afoa era. So I can't really talk about the Steinmetzes um, and the impact that they had sort of before that time. But you got to say someone like you. I don't know what age you think I am, but. <laughs> <laughs> but my, my go to one is obviously Johan Miller. Um, anytime I talk to anybody about the influence he had, um, I remember them saying anytime Johan Miller got up in the dressing room to speak, you could hear a pin drop. Like everyone just immediately shut up and listened to what he said because they had that much respect for him. And the the kind of respect that he just commanded was second to none. So I think that's something that a lot of people will have looked at and thought, man, he's he's been really influential on what he brought to Ulster in terms of his leadership. Well, we should talk before uh, we go on anymore about Glasgow because until Dwayne Vermeulen hijacked it, this whole podcast was supposed to be a build-up to the uh, the Glasgow game. So We've had three weeks that have just been a, a different version of a season preview in a row. Glasgow arrive at Kingspan on Friday evening. Finally, the uh, Ultimate Rugby Championship does begin sooner. I'm going to write that in an article at some stage and then I'm going to regret keeping this up on uh, on every podcast. But anyway... It's funny that you say that because this has entered my mind that you're going to say it so often <laughs> that it's not going to feel wrong to me anymore and somebody is going to write it. This has now become my actual aim to, to just to get this in the paper at some stage just, just for my own enjoyment. As uh, long as you don't start giving players weird nicknames. Oh, exactly. I think we're okay. Yeah. Dwayne Thor Vermeulen, as long as you don't start writing I that. Mean, like, I do mean this genuinely. Had anybody ever heard that before? No. Is it not a thing? Like, like, I consider myself as somebody who writes about rugby <laughs> and well, therefore thinks about rugby and reads about rugby every day, relatively au fait with these types of things. And I had never heard that before. In my life. I, obviously, I hadn't heard it, but like, there's loads of things I haven't heard, so I assumed it was a thing. So have Ulster just made this up? Very possibly. They got a fair yeah. bit of mileage out of it on Twitter, I'll I, tell you that. I really enjoy that. I like to think they're just going to start putting Thor merchandise about the about the stadium and selling like Thor hats and all. 
but like my timeline of popular culture is a little bit off but like were thor movies even a thing when vermilion started playing oh well thor was like like i know that thor was a thing but in terms of being in the popular culture lexicon rather than being an obscure comic book i think the first movie was 2012 possibly he, they have been around for a while. Like he's one of the original superheroes. Like, yeah, exactly, exactly. I was literally just saying we need to start talking about him and start talking about Glasgow. So we shall. He's uh, the new Marcel Cazier, Just uh, <laughs> he, is. he is in more ways than one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, many, many different ways. So, well, uh, I, I would just, I would just like to point out some of the first Thor movie came out in 2011, and Dwayne Vermeulen made his South Africa debut in 2012. So, well, there Thor, you are. There is mileage in it. If anybody knows where this uh, nickname originated, you can uh, you can let us know. Not by letter, which will end up in the editor's desk, just by <laughs> social media. That would be nicer. So anyhow, Glasgow, big turnover of players. Is there anybody left at Glasgow who was there last season? What are we expecting from them uh, this weekend uh, and this season in general? I think, you know, when you say, is there anybody left from last season? Obviously, yes, there are. But if you think... You know, you think back to the seasons on which Glasgow have staked their reputation as one of the better sides in this league. You know, winning the competition here in 2015, even getting to the final in 2019, they've just lost so many of their players, so many of the key players since then. Like Hogs, obviously, the eye-catching one, but, you know, they even lose Hastings... um, this offseason, he was really sort of like next in line as that poster boy, if you like. But we are talking, you know, whenever they were here last year in the autumn time, like, you know, Ulster put 40 points on them. Ulster went away and won there, you know, did the double. And if you remember, even a few years ago, it was like Ulster never won in Scotstown. Mm-hmm. So I think they are a very different, a very different team to what you would normally associate with how difficult an opener this would or should be yeah yeah so on that front what are we expecting in terms of of a result after the the win against saracens probably a a fairly convincing one well nothing to do with the win over saracens but i absolutely expect them to win because one the way this competition is at the minute with ulster having those extra derby games against what last season were the three best other teams in the league you can't be afford. You cannot be affording to lose home games to anybody else. You shouldn't, you know. In an ideal world, you wouldn't lose any of your home games, and that is the level that Ulster were at whenever there were crowds in Kingspan. Mm-hmm. Um, to this level, you know, they hadn't lost at home in well over a year up until lockdown, and then, as we know, dropped to three last year or last season. But a huge part of this year for me to maintaining the level that you were at last year in the league is ensuring that you have one of if not the best home record in the league and that starts by doing the business in games like this you know and in terms of bonus points as well because given how tight those top six maybe teams might be bonus points could be a a big factor in where your quarterfinal is i mean it's a good point You, you look at last year and like last year it basically became you know four points wasn't enough last year if you got yeah, four no, points right, last yeah. year, you were losing ground. Yeah. And while it may not be the same straight shootout between Ulster and Leinster as it was in the conference last year, and we hope to goodness that the games are going to be more competitive, that you're not 
basically saying every other game is bonus point or bust. <laughs> yeah. Like the margins between obviously playing at home in what will be quarterfinals or possibly having to go away in the playoffs, which could involve travel to any to anywhere. Um, <laughs> all of these things, you know, it's like you say, Garth, all these points are going to add up at the end of the season. Yeah. So, Adam, what do you think about Ulster's team for this weekend? We know Jordy Murphy and Kieran Treadwell uh, picked up injuries in pre-season. Rob Herring and Will Addison out as well. We'll talk about Will Addison a little bit more in uh, in a couple of minutes. We've got a listener question about him in particular. Sean Reedy is fit. Uh, well, he's back in training anyway, so that is a bit of a plus. What are you expecting from the, the team? What are the most sort of interesting aspects you're looking out for? I think we're probably not going to see anything too dissimilar to that second Saracens friendly. Um, personally, I would have liked to have seen the likes of Callum Reid and Dave McCann potentially involved, but they played in the development game last week, so there's every chance that they won't feature. Uh, otherwise, I think they probably would have been held back from those games, but we don't know. I think the biggest question surrounds the Ireland internationals who didn't play last week. We know that Will Addison and Rob Herring won't play, but we didn't get an update on Stuart McCluskey and Jacob Stockdale, uh, both of whom who were away with Ireland, but weren't mentioned in the injury slash availability update. So it'll be interesting to see if they're fit. Uh, but look, it, it's got to be full strength. I wouldn't want to see Ulster really messing about too much with their team because yeah. you really want to get off to a good start. There are less games this year. Now it's only four less games, I think it is, than uh, a usual season. So it's not like you're missing out on a massive number of uh, points opportunities. But you still need to make sure that you are getting off to a good start and you're not putting yourself behind the eight ball early, especially at home. So full team straight out there love to see Bradley Roberts get a start I think Bradley Roberts was one of the uh, was one of the standout players in preseason I really think he just keeps uh, improving with every single game I see from him and at some point you've got to reward him and say look you've been doing everything you can we're going to give you the start and see what you can do it may prove that he's just a good impact sub and you know, you need guys like that. Paul Marshall made a career out of it and a very good career it was too. But I'd love to see him get a start if possible. But yeah. would, would you start him, Jonathan? Obviously with Rob out, it'll be between him and John uh, Andrew. Would you Would you start him? No, I don't think so. I think I would start John Andrew still. Like John Andrew, I think it's been, um, has been good as well. And I, th- I would definitely lengthen the amount of time that I give to Brad Roberts. Like we, we think, you know, before where he had like, I think it was seven minutes against Edinburgh. Like I could see him wreaking absolute havoc for half an hour. Yeah. And, you know, the last half an hour. But it's a, di- it's a difficult balance in positions like that for Don McFarlane, because especially with Rob Herring out, like you would, it's like Adam says, you want to reward form, but how do you do it in a specialized position when the two guys are both playing well? It's, it is quite difficult. Yeah. I think personally that um, an interesting part of the selection moving forward in these first couple of weeks again is going to be Tom O'Toole and Marty Moore because, you know, we, again, we talked about this quite a lot last year, but we're in a position where Tom O'Toole is now capped by Ireland but still hasn't won that uh, Ulster tighthead jersey off Marty Moore. Yeah. And, you know, we're going back really quite, quite a distance now when people have been talking about Tom O'Toole as this international prospect now he's got his cap but 
is he the first choice tight head at uh, at Ravenhill? And that's going to be something to watch. Elsewhere, I think with the availability, things are probably going to pick themselves, I imagine. The only other thing I'd be looking out for is Ethan Macor. Like Adam listed a few of the younger guys that he's looking forward to seeing at various points of this season. And I, I just wonder, is Ethan McElroy maybe ahead even of them? with regards to how much we're going to see him in this first block. Like, I know Gareth, obviously, he is he is your sponsored player of the year. He um, is. Yep. So, given how well he played in that second Saracens game, I would be intrigued as to how much we see him in the opening weeks. And with Addison out and Mike Laurie talking about the possibility of playing more 10 this year, I would just be interested to see how much we see him at fullback in this first run of Pro 14 games as well, or ERC games, sorry. Okay, so you think there's a potential for maybe even to start this weekend if we have Ballot, like what do we expect? We're expecting Balakun and Gilroy in the wings with Stockdale has Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd like to see him definitely get a start in this first block of, I, sorry, I said his first block, what I really mean is the first four games and mm-hmm. because ending in that Connacht game, I think you need to be going as strong as you are allowed to in that Connacht game because that's the first of four away games in a row three of which are in the league and one of which comes in Europe and that's you know just doing my season previews like breaking down the the fixture list today that immediately jumps out as you as as spread out as those games are just a massive run in the season as well Okay, well, that's a uh, that's a particularly interesting one for uh, for me to look at on uh, on Friday night. If Ethan does manage to get a start, I was supposed to be going to see Liam Gallagher, and that's just been cancelled. So uh, I uh, I will get watching the game, and I will be particularly interested to watch uh, watch Ethan in action. If indeed you you are right, and he does get that the nod at uh, at number fifteen there, so. Um, we have a few questions to go through before we're finished. Adam, in case you're wondering, similar to Baker last week, has had to shoot on a little bit, uh, a little bit early. But Jonathan's here to ask answer our remaining questions very capably. I am sure the first one on a man we've just been talking about there, Jonathan Will Allison Ryan Jennings wants to know where will he play most of his rugby this year. He says he can't see Ulster going into a big game without starting Will Addison when he's fit, but that potentially impacts on Hume at 13 and Lowry at 15. What are your thoughts? And probably, as everyone will know, the three key words in that question are when he's fit, because as we've just said, he's not currently fit. What do we know about, about that? Yeah, well, both him and Herring were sort of put in the same boat um, during Ulster's media briefing yesterday that um, it wasn't expected that they're going to be out for too long, but it didn't equally sound like they're going to be back next week either. Um, And that is the thing with Addison, you know, as brilliant as a player as he has been when he's played, and don't get me wrong, he has been. Three years into his Ulster career, he's played 22 times. So... It goes back to that back row discussion that we were having. Like, I wouldn't be stressed out about what else they're going to play when everybody's fit because you're never going to be in that position. Like, yeah, yeah. In in this particular instance, like, I wouldn't move Hume out of the 13 jersey if it can be avoided. Yeah. Like, I think your first choice is McCluskey and Hume for as long as it is. And then hopefully, touch wood after that, it's Hume and Moore. And then you're relatively set for hopefully a long time to come. Mm-hmm. Um, 
as I said, we were talking to Mike Laurie yesterday and he was sort of talking about, um, you know, that old debate that there always is around him as a 10 or as a 15. And it sounded like he was looking maybe to nail down more 10, play a bit more 10, mm-hmm. maybe is the right way to put it, rather than saying nail down a position, because I think that versatility will stand to him moving forward. But yeah. But 10 is his position. Like we said, you've got Macro in that conversation as well. Yeah, yeah. And 10 is Larry's natural position over his school years. And whenever he started out with Ulster, that's where he'll have seen himself long term. And probably Ulster fans will know him more as a as a 15. But that's uh, that's not actually his, his natural fit. So will be interesting, yeah. as you say, to see how much he how much game time he gets at that uh, over the next lot of weeks. So I mean, it's uh, easy to forget how big a shock it was when he started that Leicester Tigers European game at 15. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right enough. Yeah. No, it would be a shock if he started anywhere else. So yeah, yeah we'll keep an eye on that one and we'll see what we see as regards Will Addison. Obviously, all fingers crossed that he will get back into action sooner rather than later. As we don't need to tell any of you what a, a an awful time it's been for him injury-wise. Uh, what else do we have? Ryan C wants to know how much impact on tactics and selection do you think the 50-22 rule? will have attacking structure and line of jumpers seem like obvious changes, but uh, contestant exit kicking seems like it will be more important than ever. Obviously, we talked about this a little bit last week in our full season preview. If anybody hasn't listened to that, they can still go back and listen on your favorite podcast provider. Uh, we did discuss this this rule change quite a little bit, but Jonathan, wants to, anything else to say on it? Yeah, well, it was sort of interesting to see it in action on uh on Friday night in that Bristol Saris game, because um, whether through accident or design or whether it was just in people's heads, it seemed like there was an awful lot more kicking in that uh, first game. Could have just been people looking to go down in the, in the premiership record books by having the first one. I don't know, but there was an awful lot of uh, kicking, which is not really what it's been brought in for. It's been brought in to encourage uh, attacking play, to encourage teams to try and flip the field rather than just, boot the ball in the hope that it takes the good bounce and goes into the touch. But probably I think what we're going to see is an awful lot more players. And this might take a while to for you to really see, but an awful lot more players working on their kicking game. Like we've already seen a move towards this, but I don't think you're going to be able to get away with being a center. You can't kick as an example. Like I think it, the ability for multiple players in your back line to be able to effectively use the kicking game, whether it be bringing it into play or just the threat of bringing it into play. Like, I think it's going to be necessary for everybody, really. Like, from an all, from a purely Ulster perspective, it would be interesting with Jacob Stockdale, obviously, because we know that he has such a, like a real cannon of a left boot. It'd be interesting to see if they do try and bring that into play more, because it's something that probably got talked about when he was playing fullback a bit. It's something that gets talked about in an Ireland context, in the same way that, you know, people talk about James Lowe's kicking threat in an Ireland context, but it's not something that we see as much of. But the way that Ulster want to play and using their line out as a weapon is part of that. But the way that they also want to play is fast paced. Mm. They want to have this new attacking structure with as many playmakers coming onto the ball as possible, as many players forced into making decisions as possible. And that's what it comes down to again. It's, it's about players making the right decisions at the right moments rather than, I suppose, 
becoming sort of a slave to this one idea or whether whether it be kicking or whether it be not kicking okay certainly as as we say very interesting to see how it impacts things uh from ulster's point of view going forward one more question gareth o'hare very simply wants you to explain expected points for him we talk about the lexicon of the uh, sporting uh, vocabulary and this is a relatively new one we've seen expected goals coming into to football and now we have expected points and i explain it for for anybody who's not sure well, I know that you're a skeptic about this, Gareth, but it is a... Well, uh, like, I, I would like to clarify that I am, on the surface, a skeptic of expected goals, but I said that to you earlier and you explained why it was fairly uh, interesting. And I do think I've always sort of had a guilty pleasure in it, but on the surface of it, I'm still, I still don't know. I think I'm a traditionalist with these things. So Papi. Papi hates it. I can hear it. I don't even know what he's barking at anymore. Like we're <laughs> however many months into this working from home and he's still doesn't understand the sanctity of the podcast recording. <laughs> so it is something that uh, URC fans will be, uh, will be exposed to this year. And essentially very similar to football. It is a metric that will try and quantify the idea of how and when points should be scored, if you like. Mm-hmm. So in the same way that, you know, if you've watched match today, you know, we mentioned the expected goals. Basically, it's an effort to do the same and say from this position, the team should have scored X amount of points. Because I think especially with rugby, looking at territory and possession as these two um, sort of catch-all statistics for how dominant the team has been or meters made for how effective an attacking player has been, things like that. Really, the be-all and end-all is whether you scored points or whether your actions led to an increased chance of scoring points. Mm-hmm. And in theory, if it works, that's what it's going to bring to the analysis of the game. So, you know, if your expected points from one position is three and then... Jacob Stockdale sidesteps two men and the expected points goes up to five. Mm-hmm. You know, that's more impactful if he does that over two meters than it is if he carries the ball 20 meters from something that's kicked into the backfield and it's five or six seconds before he has to do anything involving beating an opposition player or things like that. That's just an example. But yeah. And is it something that's going to be widely used this season? Well, the trial of it is basically, I think, in the ERC. So it'll be interesting to see how much it catches on. Like so much of, I suppose, the attempt to market the ERC is that it's different. So it makes sense that it be brought into this first. But like you talk about being a traditionalist there, it has been really interesting. The reaction to it, sorry, the reaction to expected goals, I think has been really interesting. Like even this morning, I heard off the ball having a conversation about it saying people that like expected goals don't like football. And I think that idea of just how hard it is to get people away from the stats that they're used to. Yeah, no, absolutely. Compared to stats that are more effective. Yeah. Or should be more effective. Well, that's just about all that we have time for this week. We will be back next week to look back at hopefully uh, win over Glasgow Warriors. The expected points for that game, possibly pretty high. And ahead to the trip to Zebra. And no doubt we will also talk about Marcel Katsia. And Dwayne Vermeulen as well, just a guess. For now, from Adam McKendry, Jonathan Bradley, and myself, Gareth Hanna, thank you very, very much for listening.